Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of Blooming podcast with your host Daniela and Mariah. We're so happy to be here for a very special episode that is airing just a week before Valentine's Day. And so in celebration of this, this holiday that I feel like is very polarizing. Oh um, yeah. (laughs) It's very triggering too, I must say. Very triggering, very polarizing, but I feel like more and more um, people are spending time with their girlfriends or just having self-care. So whichever area of life you're in and whichever one of those you relate most to, we think that this episode will very much apply because, I don't know, I feel like the the most valuable part of life that I'm learning about is human connection. And connecting and being able to have deep and meaningful relationships has been so important to me. And I know I'm not alone. And I think we just, we need that as humans in order to be healthy, mentally well. So this is a perfect episode to really prepare and give you the tools so that you can find the most fulfilling relationships and you have what you need to um, yeah, make the most out of every relationship that you have. So we have our guest, Nicole Walker. She is a board certified coach, licensed counselor, and the founder of Renovate Your Relationships, a coaching program for those seeking a deeper fulfillment in their relationships. Her passion is helping people get out of their own way of finding and keeping the healthy love that they deserve. We dive into attachment theory, are burning questions about relationships. And it's overall such a jam-packed information with like all the things that you want to know and learn about in relationships. I personally had so many breakthroughs during the recording. You guys will love it. Yeah. Danielle was just telling me how she's been reflecting over the past few hours after we recorded. And um, what were you saying? I was just saying how like I've realized through this recording and just thinking about it for the last couple of hours, how fulfilled I feel in my friendships. And even though I've been single for a long time, I've found so much like kinship and love and just all the things that you need out of a relationship from my friends. And it's just so special to be validated in that and to also learn the reason why I've been attracting the wrong kind of guy. So... (laughs) With that. Well, wait, 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 because I feel like I also want to add that it's interesting that we have your perspective, right? Yes. And then we have my perspective. I've been in a long-term committed relationship for almost five years now, and I'm engaged, soon to be married. So, um, you know, I found a lot of value in this as well because I had no idea what my attachment style was, and I had heard about attachment style a little bit, but I never really applied it. And so I left being like, holy shit, um, I definitely know which attachment style I am and it's really going to help going forward. So I know that everyone is going to find something in this episode that they can relate to and learn from. So let's dive in. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to the Art of Blue podcast. We're so happy to have you. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. And I'm so happy to meet you, Nicole. So... We're doing today's episode because we wanted to have you. We wanted to have you for a little while now. And we thought it was a great idea to have this as our pre-Valentine's Day episode because I know that that's a very like triggering date for a lot of people. 
not talking about myself. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so we really just wanted to dive into like relationships and you are an expert and we've talked a little bit about it without an expert. And now that we can have you, it's just very exciting. Yes, so, we need you. Yeah. Because relationships are a huge part of this podcast. We're always talking about it, whether it's the relationship with yourself, which is the most important, and I'm sure you could agree. And then our relationships with others in family dynamics, friendships, and romantic relationships. So since this is a Valentine's episode, you know, I think people usually tend to focus on their romantic relationships, but I think more and more we're starting to think about the deeper meaning of love and how it impacts all parts of our life. So how we can fall deeper in love with ourselves and how that reflects outwards into the other relationships that we bring in our lives. Yes, I completely agree and echo everything you said. Um, And I do think that, you know, that relationship with that we have with ourselves really is the foundation, right? We show others how to treat us by how we treat ourselves. So it is so important. Awesome. Glad we're on the same page. So before we dive into all your amazing knowledge, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and your journey towards becoming this relationship expert and certified counselor? Yeah. So I am based in upstate New York and I am a licensed mental health counselor and I'm also a board certified coach um, and I specialize in relationships, trying to help people get out of their own way of finding and keeping, you know, that healthy, secure love that we all crave and deserve. And, you know, it's interesting because I kind of have always struggled with relationships myself, right? And um, my, you know, clinical background, I was never really that interested in relationships, right? It's like that one thing that like you need to work on within yourself. You're like, eh, not really ready to go there yet. So actually a lot of my clinical background is in, um, substance abuse and severe mental illness. Um, and at one of my, clinical jobs, I was actually um, put on like the couples counselor role. I was only 25 at the time and single. So I have no idea who thought this was a good idea. Like we're going to have Nicole be the couples counselor on like the unit. But I was just like, I hated it. I was just like, this is not for me. Like, you know, and when I kind of uh, started my journey, I opened my private practice in the fall of 2020 and, you know, really had been doing a lot of work on myself. I had found myself 30 years old, single, all my friends were married and coupled up. And I'm like, if I have to be at one more wedding, when the slow song comes on and like, go hide in the bathroom, like I can't do this anymore. Like I need to figure this out. So, you know, it was a really big part of kind of my own inner work that I went on. And that's, I think, you know, that probably started in my late 20s. And that really lowered a lot of the resistance I had towards, yeah, just helping people with their relationships. Um, And a couple years ago now, I started talking a lot more about relationships on my Instagram. And it really started to resonate with people. And I was like, okay, I think I'm like, you know, getting in a groove here. Um, And I think why I'm so passionate about it and why I hope it resonates with other people is because it's so personal to me, you know, and I feel like as teachers, 
we can only bring people as far as we've brought ourselves. Um, and, you know, I would never ask my clients to do things that I haven't done myself. Um, and of course, everyone's journey to love looks different. But when people come to me, you know, when there's struggles and all of that, like I feel like I can so deeply relate to it, you know, and get it. So yeah, now that is my specialty and I'm loving it. And it's been, it's been a wild ride. So that's kind of the cliff notes. If you want me to go into anything deeper with any of that, I'm more than happy to. That's perfect. And I think we'll probably kind of get into more of how like the information that we share and how you came to learn about that information and reflect within yourself. So that was a perfect intro. Thank you. Yeah, of course. No, I'm just like, I have so many questions. So like, so <laughs> Amy, to start? <laughs> yeah. So like, for example, so while you were in your self-discovery journey, what did you like, what sparked this? You know, like you, you said that you were 30, you were single, you started working on yourself. Like what were the steps that led you, you know, like what was your aha moment in all of this? Well, I think it was a couple things. I think that, you know, I was at that place where I kind of sat behind the shield of, well, you know, I'm on the dating apps and everyone just sucks. And, you know, like, I'm just super picky and like, I have high standards. Like, what do you want me oh to do? God. You know what I mean? Like, And, you know, finally got to a place where it's like, okay, Nicole, like, you know, I'm going to bring in this, the Taylor Swift song here, but like, maybe the problem is me, right? Like, maybe I'm the common denominator. So I think that was a big part of it. And I think another like huge wake up call for me was um, growing up did not have the best healthy role models of love, you know, and this is not a dig at my parents. Like I think people do the best with what they got. Right. And, you know, these intergenerational patterns are just inherited. But my parents ended up getting divorced when I was like 25, 26. And I think that was huge for me because like growing up, I always felt like something was off. You know what I mean? Like I always felt like this doesn't really feel healthy, but like they're still together and like everyone's, you know, is acting like it's fine. So it must be fine. And in a weird way, like the divorce and the things that happened after that really were kind of like very freeing and validating and like acknowledging of like, oh, wow, this relationship like was messed up. You don't want that. And like, we got to create something different. But I was at like square zero. You know what I mean? Like I had no idea where to even start with creating a healthy relationship. Yeah, I was just lost, right? And like, even in outside of my like core nuclear family, like, you know, my aunts and uncles, like no one was doing great. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I could call upon like this one cousin that had like this amazing marriage that I wanted to, um, you know, replicate. So those things I think really kind of helped me be like, okay, Nicole, like let's get going here. Like this is on you. And I think I started reading a lot and that really helped me. Um, and the biggest like aha moment for me was learning about attachment theory. You know, and there's four different attachment styles and they're all different and are formed differently. 
But that was like, I just felt so seen and understood learning about that. And at the same time, that really gave me like a roadmap to get out of where I was. So I know that's a long-winded answer to your question, but No, but that's amazing. (laughs) I feel very seen in every single thing that you said. Like, if I, I feel like I've said those exact same words so many times in describing like my, my state of being right now. So it's like, okay, we're starting in the right place. So you started learning about attachment styles, right? And so you said that you were in like ground zero, like you didn't know like where to start. So where did you start? So where I actually started was I read this book called Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. And that really kind of was like the domino that started everything. And, you know, I've recommended that book to so many of my clients. And I think just aha moments right and left reading that book, because that book really helped me understand how I was getting in my own way. Right. You know, like another thing that I was famous for was I would be like annoyed or pissed at people that they weren't meeting my needs or didn't do a certain thing. But like then realize, like, Nicole, you're not communicating to anyone what you want. You're not advocating for your needs. You know, your ways of kind of like writing everyone off or people not being good enough, um, you know, or I was famous for just playing it, you know, too cool for school, right? Like I didn't care. Like I lived my life by the motto, whoever cares less wins. And I wasn't going to show I cared. Um, (laughs) Is this resonating? (laughs) Yeah, I'm just like, this is like, okay, I'm not alone in this. I feel good. I feel seen. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're, you are not alone. Um, so those are kind of all tenants of what we would call avoidant attachment. So, um, that really helped me because I was able to kind of start going on dates with a different mindset and really be more open, give people more of a chance, practice being a little more vulnerable, That knowledge around attachment theory also helped me understand what to look for in another person, right? I mean, that's a humongous part of dating and relationships is we're all prone to kind of recreate the dynamics that feel comfortable because our subconscious attributes familiarity with safety because it's like, I know this. I know how to, you know, interact with this, right? It's like the devil that you know is better than the devil that you don't know. But, you know, that lent to a dating history with me personally of emotionally unavailable men that was just a nightmare. I mean, it was not good. (laughs) So, for example, uh, when I went on the first date with my now husband, who is a very sweet man, you know, I go on this first date. And at the end of the day, he walks me to my car and he's like, oh, you know, we should really get together again. And I'm thinking in my head, like, yeah, buddy, whatever. Like, let me just get in the car. Right. Like, I mean, like he was very nice, but I was like snooze fest. Like this guy is not really doing it for me. And I remember like that was a huge turning point for me because it was like, Nicole, 
This person was like so nice. They made a plan. They showed up on time. They were respectful. They asked you about yourself. Like all these qualities that you're looking for in a secure person. Just because you weren't, you know, like head over heels, that doesn't mean that, you know, something couldn't evolve, right? Because healthy, secure love is definitely a slow burn. And then I went out on a second date with him and I had a blast. And we had so much fun. And I was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I almost wrote this guy off. And, you know, obviously it progressed from there and we're now married. But if I hadn't done that work on myself, I would have ghosted Mike and just never like talked to him again. That's so funny to hear because I think the majority of us have been fed these novelty stories that we see in movies, TV, where there has to be this crazy amount of passion up front. And if we don't experience that when we're going on these dates and we're meeting people, we're like, "Mm, that's not it because I'm supposed to feel this crazy surge of just energy and excitement. And I, I think that, speaking for myself, when I was single and dating, I was constantly so bored when I met somebody that on paper was pretty much all the things that I was looking for in a stable partner. But I had so much more fun dating the mysterious guy, the bad boy, the one who was emotionally unavailable. And I think a lot of us can, can relate to that is that we look for chaos weirdly. And I mean, I guess it's not weirdly because we know that it stems from, right, what we're used to, family dynamics, how the relationships that we navigated as kids. So um, yeah, I, how do you begin to start getting more comfortable looking for the quote unquote stable guy or the right, or the right partner? Yeah. Well, I think what I encourage a lot of people do, right, is we all like, you know, write this list. This is my dream partner. And I think, you know, step number one is looking at that list and anything that's superficial on there, we got to cross off, right? Like now I'm not saying, you know, go date someone that you think is a troll, right? Like we need to be physically attracted to these people. But, you know, you should be focusing so much more on how you want that other person to make you feel than they make six figures, right? Because they make six figures probably is going to make you feel maybe secure, safe, Like you can, you know, take your own foot off the gas pedal. I don't know, whatever that means to you. But I think that's like one small tip to kind of reframe that right there, right? So that's step number one. And step number two is all those things you're looking for on the list. I want someone who's a good communicator. I want someone who's emotionally available and going to tell me how they feel. Well, are you doing that? Right. You know, I get all these comments on my Instagram posts or, you know, people in my DMs like so and so isn't doing this or this or how do I, you know, get them to change and And it's like, well, are you showing up that way? You know, are you kind of possessing those same qualities that you're asking in others? So I think that's a really great start. Of course, these things are going to feel like wonky in the beginning. But I think, you know, as you said, Mariah, I think that's a great kind of just mindset shift 
if you go on a date with someone and it's not immediate, you know, sparks and butterflies, how can you kind of like hold steady and give that person a little bit more of a chance and to see if something does grow instead of just immediately, you know, writing them off. Right. Which I feel like is so easy to do because we have access to so many more people now with these dating apps. Because if you don't feel it on the first date, you're like, okay, well, there's plenty of options out there. Yes. And options. Right. I mean, Danielle, do not help us. To this. <laughs> well, I, no, I can't speak to this. <laughs> no, I can't speak to this. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm just like, I really want to ask this question and I want it like, and it will probably take us to like the next subject. But like, I've heard so much that people that are avoidantly attached, like do this thing where they go into anxious attachment. Like, you know, they move from one side to the other side of the coin very easily. Like you have more tendency to one side than the other. But once you become attached you know, like, I feel like I, I limbo a little bit between both. And like, when it comes to like dating, right? Like, you know, you get like, you go on these dates, you don't feel a spark. You're like, no, next. And then you meet one person, right? Where you're like, oh, there's something there. And then you hyperfixate, you know? It's like, I think that there's like two sides of that coin that is just like, it's just hard to navigate. It's like, uh, what do you do? It's true. It is. And I think that just my personal opinion on what you just said, I actually don't think people are jumping from like anxious to avoid an attachment. I mean, I think, you know, each person is going to have kind of a core attachment style that they're showing up as as most of the time. But I think a common misconception is that avoidant individuals just, you know, don't experience anxiety, you know, they're too cool for school. And that could not be more untrue. People who are avoidantly attached are experiencing a ton of anxiety. They're just not outwardly showing it, right? You know, we have internal processors and we have external processors. A external processor, which we would put in more of like anxious attachment, right? Let's say they don't hear from their partner they're going to blow that person's phone up, right? Like, you're getting texts. I'm calling you. Like, where are you at, right? Where an avoidantly attached person is, yes, feeling super anxious, but they may be like, screw this person. I'm shutting down. I'm withdrawing. I'm not texting them back, right? So it looks different, you know, and it's so interesting, just like a little quick factoid I'll share is uh, Mary Ainsworth, who's known for something called the strange situation experiment, right? Which is a big part of attachment theory. And they would put these babies in a room with their mom and the mom would leave and then come back. And then a stranger would come in and come back. And they would look at how these babies would respond and then put them in one of these four attachment styles. And the avoidantly attached infants kind of uh, show, you know, were acting just like we're talking about, right? Like didn't really seem that upset, weren't crying, could kind of take it or leave it when the mom came and left. So the researchers thought, oh, wow, like these infants, you know, aren't really anxious. But then later on, they added like physiological measures to the experiment. And they found that infants that were avoidantly attached had higher levels of anxiety in their body than any category of the infants which I think is fascinating, you know, and really just hits this point home of like, 
I think everyone is experiencing relationship struggles, but are you kind of, you know, masking it internally or is it, you know, coming out externally, like the baby who'd be anxious, who'd be crying and screaming and, you know, grabbing the mom's leg and and all of that. Wow. I've just discovered I'm avoidant. I'm an avoidant. I thought I was anxious. No, I'm an avoidant. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the club. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. And how do we, okay, what, can we backtrack a little bit? Because I actually don't know a lot about attachment styles. I've heard about it, but I've never really looked into it and (laughs) self-reflected. So I'm curious. Yeah, of course. I will try and uh, give a very brief breakdown of this. So attachment theory was created by a British psychologist in the, I think it was 40s or 50s, named John Bowlby. So he was the dude that came up with all this. So it is, you know, based in research and all of that. I just like to add that as a disclaimer. But attachment theory kind of looks at how we attach to other people, right? Our ability to do that. And um, this can apply to family members, romantic partners, friends, right? Like this affects all of our relationships. And attachment theory, nine times out of 10, is a product of our childhood environment. Now, once in a blue moon, you'll have someone that has a great, secure childhood, but then maybe they'll have a relationship in high school. You know, their first love cheats on them, right? Like, yes, a foundational relationship or a formative relationship like that is going to kind of tweak your attachment style. So I do like to just throw that in. But the majority of the time, It's a direct product of your childhood. And you can have one of four attachment styles. You can have secure, which is what we're all kind of going for, or you can have one of the insecure attachment styles, which is the other three, which includes anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. So an anxiously attached child, how that comes to be is you have um, parents or caregivers who are inconsistent, right? Like sometimes they're really uh, nurturing and responsive and supportive. And then other times they're like, leave me alone or mean or so like that inconsistency, not knowing what you're going to get naturally creates a lot of anxiety within the child, right? Where someone who's avoidantly attached, they have um, caregivers who are unresponsive, right? Or sometimes they'll have caregivers like that very, uh, you know, chin up attitude. There's not a lot of space for that child's emotional experience to be acknowledged, validated, talked about. So, you know, we as humans don't keep doing things if they don't work, right? So like as a child, you kind of learn like, all right, I'm just going to stuff this down and keep it to myself because, you know, I tried this before. I don't really get anywhere. Not going to do it anymore. Another way that avoidant attachment can be formed is if you have a parent or caregiver that is extremely emotionally immature and kind of leans on you for emotional support, right? And again, you create this receptacle where there's not any room for the child's emotional experience. So you learn closeness equates to an abandonment of self. So it feels a lot safer for me to kind of always have an arm's length from people because I know if I'm close to people, there's no space or room for me there, right? So that makes a lot of sense. And then lastly, we have disorganized attachment, which will show components of both the anxious and avoidant. But disorganized attachment is when the caregivers become a source of fear. So 
Disorganized attachment is definitely a much smaller percentage of the pie, um, but that's for children who either witnessed abuse or abused themselves. There's just something there where the child is just in such a state of fear and instability, which greatly impacts their attachment, right? And kids can go through rough situations, poverty and all of that, and still have secure attachment. I'm not saying that, you know, if you have a rough upbringing, it immediately equates to disorganized attachment, but it's when that fear component comes in and the child just gets all discombobulated around like, oh, I want to attach, I want to connect with someone, but I'm also afraid of them. So, you know, there's so much confusion. So we get secure attachment if our parents are reliable, consistent, there for us, and we just feel like we can kind of be ourselves. So I know that was a long answer to that question, but that is a kind of quick breakdown of the four attachment styles. That was perfect. I think I know which one I am now, except can you be more than one? Um, You can be. I mean, I think you will show up as one the majority of the time. But also something that I tell my clients is if you feel like so torn, like, I don't know, maybe I'm disorganized or maybe I'm this, you know, look at it also through the lens of like, am I showing up secure or insecure, right? Like, I think that can be helpful too. Like, don't get caught, you know, stuck in the muck with like, which of the insecure attachment styles am I? Instead, ask yourself, is this behavior or this thought pattern moving me toward my goals and helpful in me wanting to form secure relationships. And what can we do? So there's three, right? Um, There's the three attachment styles. So what can we do for each one? Like what are good tips to start doing that inner work for each? There's a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's so much that you can do. And I think the work looks a little bit different for each of the three attachment styles, but I'll just give kind of like one quick tip for each. For anxious attachment, like the biggest thing is learning how to self-soothe, right? That's huge. Learning how to self-regulate because someone who is anxiously attached, their attachment system gets triggered And they're like a dog with a bone. Like, I have to do whatever I can to fix this right now, right? So, like, let's say they get in a fight with their significant other or a friend or a family member. Like, they can't sit in that space of it being unresolved, right? But a lot of people, like, need a break to think about things. A lot of people, um, you know, that energy, that intense energy can feel really overwhelming and cause someone to shut down. And now we get into this bad cycle, right, of like withdraw pursuing dynamics. So for the anxiously attached, being able to sit with whatever triggered you and figure out, okay, why am I being triggered? What emotion is this bringing up? How can I sit with this? How can I care for myself in this moment, right? And then how can I return to that situation in a much more regulated, calm state? So that's kind of like anxious attachment. Avoidant attachment is learning how to be a better communicator and learning how to open up more, right? Like that's the nuts and bolts of being better about that. How can I better communicate my needs, set boundaries, so I don't feel like 
closeness equates to an abandonment of self, like I was saying a couple minutes ago. And how can I open up a little bit more? And you want to practice opening up a little bit more with people who are healthy, right? Like we, we, I just say that is because I don't want you to go and do these things with people who are not healthy and just going to reconfirm those unhelpful core beliefs. And then for someone with disorganized attachment, because there is such, you know, that like trauma history there, the work is to really find a relationship that feels safe. And that could even be with yourself, right? Like, let's start there and improve that relationship you have with your inner caregiver. Or let's get you set up with a coach or a therapist. Like, that's the first step is that person needs to have experiences with someone that feel stable and safe to kind of grow that confidence that they can go out and create those relationships with other people. Wow. I'm just like, I'm being so blown away that I'm just blank, speechless. blank. Yeah, speechless. <laughs> like, it's it's so refreshing to know that like, you're not, you know, screwed and you're going to stay like broken forever. No. Like it gives me a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. Just, wow. There's so much to learn about this. Yeah, the more you know, right? The more you know. And I think at least like our parents' generation, I don't think that they, the majority of them had these tools and the awareness to do the internal work and to become emotionally immature. At least I feel like the majority of the people I know and my friends, we can kind of all agree that we come from very similar upbringings where our parents were very emotionally immature. And so that, you know, over time as you become an adult and you're trying to navigate these dynamics with your caregivers and um, your larger family, it can feel very frustrating. And you can almost feel like, I don't even feel like I can relate to these people that I spent the majority of my life with now that I have the awareness of like these tools to work on myself. And if they're not going to work on themselves, what's the point of the relationship? So I feel like that um, that's a whole other layer of what we're talking about, but I think it's good to acknowledge that everything kind of goes back to your upbringing. Yeah, no, and I think it's never too late to work on this stuff and have healthier relationships. You know, like I give so much credit to my mom who's like in her early 60s. First of all, she thinks my husband is like the bee's knees. She thinks he's like the best thing ever, right? Like, Nicole, he's so stable and, you know, nice. I'm like, yeah, mom, you could have this too. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, here she is, she's going out and dating and I'm so proud of her. Like even at that age, she's really working on herself and learning learning like how do I pick you know better people and in no way shape or form am I taking credit for her growth that's not what I'm doing but I think we can enact positive change in other people by changing ourselves and I hope in some small way you know I've opened the door for her or have been able to show her that you know, it can be different, right? Or serve as a role model of sorts. You know, there's like something in psychology called the beacon theory, right? Like this idea that you can't really change other people, but through your own actions and how you show up in the world, you can kind of, um, in a secondary way, you know, possibly create change in them. Yeah, I believe that. I've seen that in my own family. Like the more work that I've put in myself, the better relationships have like happened inside of my own family. So like I totally 
think that is a true thing because I have not like been like, hey, you should read this book. Like, you know, but I think that when people see that you are doing better, they start like evaluating like what they're doing more somehow. It's like almost like, you know, when someone does like their hair nicely and you tell them like, hey, I went to this hair salon kind of thing, but at a larger scale. So it makes so much sense. I'm fascinated. And also I wanted to ask like, so your mom is now dating, right? And you just said that she is now looking for better people. What's your advice for that? Like, how do we find better people? (laughs) I'm not asking for myself again. Like, (laughs) has nothing to do with me. Right. It's just being more cognizant about who we're picking. You know, here I'm going to like air a little bit of her dirty laundry. Love you, ma'am. Um, but, you know, <laughs> she was. we were having this conversation the other day about like, uh, you know, she's like, like, I don't know if anyone's seen Yellowstone, right? Right. She's like, that's what I, you know, that's what I'm attracted to, Nicole. Just someone like really rugged and like, you know, into like the outdoors. And I'm like, mom, How has that worked out for you? Okay. Like he is the most emotionally unavailable man. Like that is not what you need. All right. Like let's get a reality check here. Like that man is, you know, John Dutton is going to leave you nothing but heartbreak. Like, (laughs) No, 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 no. Right. So I think like that's a good awareness of like, okay, like, you're not going to change who you're attracted to, right? And, like, that's okay. Like, I'm sure I would run into some of my ex-boyfriends and I'd be like, oh, God, hold me back, you know? But, like, that doesn't mean that they're good for me. That doesn't mean I should be in a relationship with them. It was horrible, right? So I think, like, not shaming yourself for who you're attracted to and knowing that that's unhealthy, but just having that education and awareness around, like, okay, this is who I'm attracted to. This hasn't really worked out great for me. How can I, you know, give other people a chance and give that an opportunity to grow and flourish and, you know, have a different kind of relationship that's so much deeper and feels so much more fulfilling and healthy and, you know, all those things that I'm saying that I really want. And I think there's also a time when we can identify what are unhealthy traits and um, kind of going back to speaking towards being that example for other people in your life. And hopefully they'll kind of pick up on it um, and start to do their inner work. But are there cases where no matter how much you try and influence others by being that example that they just do not change, what do you do? And is that true? Yeah. Well, and I'm curious just to help me format my answer. Are you saying like more in regards to romantic relationships or any relationship? Well, from what I'm speaking from is um, I've always had a really hard time in female friendships and um, like family relationships. So I've held on when maybe I needed to let go because that relationship was doing a disservice to myself and was lowering my self-worth and was actually causing harm. So I guess, when do you know when it's time to step away and put up the boundary of, I'm not going to have you in my life anymore, unless you can respect my boundaries? 
Yeah, no. And I think so many people struggle with that. And it is really hard to like ascertain, okay, when do I like cut my losses and leave this relationship, especially, you know, if you've invested a lot of time and energy into it. And I think that that's really where it goes back to communication, right? Because a lot of us will live in this space of like, oh, I'm hoping so-and-so, you know, does this. But like communication is always going to give you information that's going to allow you to make an educated decision on something. Right. So, you know, coming up with in your head, like, this is what I need from this person. Right. Or this is what I want. And I'm going to directly communicate that to them and then see if they're able to follow through. And if they're not, then you have your answer. Right. And if you feel like, oh, I don't know, maybe I don't have my answer. Well, then that's telling me that you're struggling with the acceptance that this person is unable to provide you what you need, not unwilling, right? Because that's a big difference. I think a lot of us get in this space of thinking, if only they cared, you know, they would do this. That's not always true, right? Some people just don't have those skills or aren't emotionally mature. So, you know, then that's another part of that is like, how can I sit in that acceptance of like, maybe this person can't be what I want them to be? And am I okay with the relationship being different or more surface level because of it? Or do I feel like this is a, you know, relationship that I need to remove myself from? Mm. And I think I remember hearing you speak about um, the acceptance phase of like, you know, not wanting to change people or when you start just accepting the fact that this person, you're not going to change this person and you shouldn't, how that shifts this like inner peace that you start having or this healthy level of detachment. Oh my God. It's huge. Right. Because, you know, most people don't change for other people. They change for themselves. Right. Like people got to have that intrinsic motivation. So, you know, you hoping that it's different or wanting it to be different, like that just leaves you in a perpetual state of feeling disappointed and frustrated. And it also makes the other person feel like they're not what you want or need them to be. And that makes the other person feel really crappy, right? So like, I think that's the most freeing thing that we can do for ourselves and other people is to really accept them for who they are, right? You know, and especially with family members, because we're kind of stuck with our family members, right? Like it is what it is. Like if they change, great, but they might not change, right? We don't really have as much, um, I don't know, power in those relationships, right? But with romantic partners, like I always tell people, if you're entering a relationship with someone hoping that they're going to change, that is not good, right? Like you are setting yourself up for a long road of misery right? Like you have to kind of accept that person in front of you. Like if they never change, if this is who they are for the totality of our relationship, am I going to be okay with that? Right? Wow. Yeah. I, I feel like Mariah is having that moment of like, I, yeah, I have so many other questions, but they're very like personal. So I'll save them <laughs> when I'm not on no. air. Um, well, what are some of like, what are some red flags or how do you know that you're with somebody that might have these like toxic traits? Because I think sometimes people don't have the awareness around what they don't really want or what they don't really deserve as far as these specific traits that I would say like are general do's and don'ts. 
Yeah, so actually my answer to that question would be to focus more on yourself than the other person. And what I mean by that is because, you know, we all have different backgrounds. We all have different childhoods. So different things are going to trigger each of us, right? Like, you know, someone getting drunk may really trigger someone with an alcoholic father where it's not going to bother the other person at all. So I would really encourage you to look more at how do I feel around this other person? Do I feel heightened? Do I feel like I'm in that place of like, you know, trying to fix or change or help them, right? Like, because of course we want to be in relationship with people who we feel at peace, right? And we feel like we can show up as our authentic best selves. You know, I always tell my clients when they're like dating someone new and then like they introduce them to the friends, don't ask the friends, what did you think about, right? Like ask your friends, what did you think of me with Bob, right? What version of me was coming out with this individual, right? Because I think that that's going to tell you just so much more, right? Can I be in a calm state with this person or is it triggering and heightening all of my stuff? And I notice that I'm like going back into these patterns of people pleasing or feeling like, you know, I, I can't communicate my needs or, you know, I'm noticing that I'm really anxious around this person and trying to get them to like me. I think that's just going to give you so much more fruitful information. It's an amazing question to ask. That was the first time I've heard that. And I, and it yeah. makes sense, right? It makes sense. It's how, how are you showing up with this person? Are you making yourself smaller? Are you interacting with your friends and family differently than you normally are just to accommodate this person? Um, I think those are great telltale signs if you're with somebody who empowers you. Yeah, well, and, you know, I can speak personally, like, being avoidantly attached, right? You know, and that's a continual process to work on. Like my MO is I would kind of like zip out a little bit, right? And dissociate a little bit. Like I felt like around certain people, I couldn't really be completely there if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I would just kind of like be in a fog and that's how I felt like I had to be to kind of like make it through these situations. So for me personally, like if I'm around a friend or um, in a situation where I feel like I'm kind of like, you know, I don't want to call it full-blown dissociation because it's not, but I'm just kind of not like 100% there. That's like, ooh, Nicole, this is not good. Like we, we got to look at this and figure out, you know, what's going on here or why you're showing up that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And that makes so much, I'm having so many breakthroughs right now of like, oh my God, this has been me my entire life of like what you just said about the fog and sort of like in friendships specifically that I've outgrown and haven't like fully let go of how, how like you're there, but you're not really there and you're not connecting and you're not letting yourself connect either. It's like so interesting. I didn't know that was a sign, but it's a sign. It's wow. Just okay. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of like self-work is happening on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. Or like another big one to, for me was like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of like the fawn response. Is that familiar? Oh, it's like fight, 
what, what flight or fawn <laughs> the f fight so, yeah or so fawn. it's fight yeah flight freeze or fawn so fawn mm-hmm. a fawn response is kind of like um a skill that kids will learn you know depending on the situations they're in or if people are really emotionally immature like they're gonna figure out a way to just like calm everything down and there is a dissociation that accompanies that right because you're just kind of like morphing into this people pleaser like you, you just know the exact thing to say you you're going to give that person whatever they need in that moment to just make that kind of like drama or, you know, emotional hysterics go away. So like, that's another thing for me too. Like I've been in friendships in some point in my life where like I felt that side turn on and I was like, well, this isn't good. Like, you know, we, we, we got to get out of this, this relationship. So just knowing those things about yourself, I think can be really helpful. Oh my gosh. it all boils down to self-awareness, right? Like in order to have better relationships with others, may it be like friendship, romantic, even like in family, like you got to know yourself first. Yes. And you have to know your triggers and what causes those triggers. Yes. Yes to all the above. (laughs) And how do we do that? (laughs) How do we begin to become more self-aware of those things? Is it just experiencing a trigger and then getting more practice with pausing in that moment? Well, I think a lot of the work, right, when it comes to self-awareness is like finding those moments of quiet where you can connect to yourself, right? Because we're all so like, go, 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 social media, like all of that. And, you know, it's funny, like I think about like yoga retreats that I've been on, right? Where it's like, you know, just quiet. There's lots of time to journal and like, you know, all of that stuff. And I have like my best ideas ever. And it's like this weird, like, I feel like I get completely reacquainted with myself when I do those kind of things. Um, And I get, you know, yes, a yoga retreat is like on the larger scale of what we're talking about, but finding moments in your day, you know, be it a five minute meditation or starting a journaling practice or going on a walk and not listening to music or a podcast, right? Or um, I think working with a therapist or coach is an amazing way to become more self-aware and have someone kind of point out things that maybe uh, you haven't noticed or, you know, aren't conscious to yet. So I think just finding those moments of quiet where you can connect with yourself, that is what really will lend itself to you having more self-awareness, right? Because a lot of us are just so on autopilot, right? Like, you know, someone who's anxiously attached, like my partner triggers me, I'm going to blow up, right? I'm going to try and re-engage them and then rinse, repeat, recycle, right? So another like tip on that line is like maybe asking for people um, in your life that you feel really safe and close with asking them for feedback, right? Like, you know, how do you think I'm showing up in relationships? What do you think I'm doing really well? What do you think I could improve upon? Um, You know, I think that can be helpful too. Mm, Those people pleasers will have a hard time being asked that question (laughs) because if somebody asked me that, I'd be like, um, nothing. You're doing great. Right. On the the spot like that. No, but you, you have said, you have said things to me that I was not fully aware of. Like I remember, I don't know if this was like in the previous episode that aired or something or off air. I don't care. Mariah was like, we were talking about like me wanting to like 
manifest this partnership and like meeting the guy and all of that. And I remember her asking me, but, and I kept saying like, but I keep attracting these unavailable guys, like guys in relationships or guys that are emotionally unavailable. And then she asked me, but are you available? Oh, <laughs> And I was like, I was like, damn. It was so like, she just slapped me in the face with knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> like, she was so right. So you are, you are very aware. Like you are my safe friend to ask about these things. So just wanted to say that. Well, I'm glad. And I think that's another thing too, at least from what I've learned is going from being so, um, at least I didn't think that I was self-aware and was very much in a fog of not knowing what my own voice sounded like, not knowing what was an unsafe environment because I felt like everything I knew was this one chaotic (laughs) relationship type. Um, And the more that I woke up was because I was listening to podcasts, um, reading amazing books and expanding my knowledge and hearing from other people what their experiences were and kind of using that as a guide to be like, okay, wait, I actually don't need to feel this way. And maybe when I feel uncomfortable... I don't have to take that. And that's not just something that I need to ex- or accept. It's something that I have control of and I can be empowered by creating boundaries, which I had no idea what boundaries were like three, four years ago. Um, and when I discovered them, I was like, wow, I am in control. Didn't make it any easier to set the boundaries, but um, I think just knowing that you have tools and that you have the power, essentially. And then it's just practice over time. And it, it gets, I think it gets easier. I, I don't, I feel like it's starting to get easier, but Danielle and I are both um, from the team of wanting to make people feel validated and good and being the cheerleader and wanting everything to be okay yeah. all the time. And not loving confrontation. Oh, no. So um, it makes it very <laughs> no, difficult. But it makes to- sense, though. It's like when when you were explaining, Nicole, how like avoidant attachment, we don't like communicating. We just mm-hmm. assume that people will un- like guess what we're saying or like wanting to mm-hmm. say, rather. I was like, oh, my God. That is my biggest, humongous like problem in general in life. Like I don't say what I want. And that is what, you know, causes issues later down the road. That's why you don't get what you want. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I think that is the hardest part, at least for the, our attachment style (laughs) is communicating and putting everything out there or like being very direct with your communication versus kind of like trying to pepper it or being like a little bit passive aggressive (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and then just assuming that people are out to get you all the time. At least that's, I, I feel like the world's out to get me because I don't communicate. <laughs> yes. 
no, communication is huge. I always, you know, that's a big thing I work on with people too. Like, you know, if they go to their partner and say like, I want us to be closer, like what is, no one knows what that means, right? Like, you know, you need to be so specific and direct with people like, hey, could we make dinner together every Friday night? That would make me feel a lot closer to you, right? Um, Because exactly what you're saying, I think so many of us, and I've been guilty of it myself, just make these like vague statements and hope they'll pick up on our hints and people do not. They don't. Yeah, it's so true. And then I found because um, I'm actually in a long-term relationship, getting married in a couple months, and I'm very happy with my partner. I feel like how the heck did I manage to find him when I was so like not in a secure place in myself, but I'm glad I did because he's helped me grow and become this empowered version. But I guess my question is for people in relationships, how do you, how do you communicate? I feel like I, in the beginning, it was really hard to communicate my needs. And then as you become more comfortable, the years go by, you live together. It's easier to be very direct with your partner because you feel very safe and comfortable with them. Like at least I did, I felt very, or I do, I feel very safe. So I feel like this has been the first time in my life where I've been able to be so explicitly direct and communicate my needs and stand my ground and be like, I am not accepting that. Like, this is what I need. Take it or leave it. And so that has really helped me get the practice to do it with people that I'm not necessarily as comfortable with or feel as secure that they're not going to just leave me if I tell them how I feel. So I guess, I, I don't really think that was a question, but <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of want to talk a little bit about, because we talked about like single and finding your partner, but once you've found that person, then what? What, what do you need in your toolkit to continue to nurture the relationship and to, um, you know, make it past the phase where in the beginning, I think everybody calls it the honeymoon phase. But what happens after that phase where you are in a more comfortable place, but maybe you're kind of operating more as roommates? And what are some things that we can do to continue to keep like that romance alive? I think you, okay, so to answer that question, how can we keep romance alive? I think we got to bring a little excitement into the relationship, right? I think so many of us get caught in, you know, the doldrums of like same days. It's the same day, Groundhog Day every day, right? So I really encourage my couples that I work with to just find something that they can connect on that feels like new and novel, right? So, you know, I think like, just some examples of people that I've worked with off the top of my head. I've had couples go and take tennis lessons together or, you know, every Friday night, they like like the New York Times recipes and they'll try out a new recipe from there every Friday night. Or uh, at a couple, they were like big movie buffs. So like, you know, the AFI comes out with their top 100 movies. So they would like watch one of those together every week. But like having something that is like a basis of connection that you can kind of come together and enjoy, I think, 
think that can be really helpful. Um, and just getting out of the house once in a while, changing up the environment, you know, planning a trip, like anything that you can bring into the relationship that feels new, novel, different. I think that that really keeps the relationship alive. And I think the other part of that is always like looking at our partner with fresh eyes, right? You know, I think all of us kind of get into these traps of just assuming we know everything about their partner and this is who they are, right? But I think it's such a disservice to both us and the other person to get in that place. You know, there's a quote that I love by Wilfred Byan, and he says, the purest form of listening is to listen without memory or desire, right? And to just kind of like sit in that present moment and really hear what the other person is saying. And I think that can bring a lot of romance alive too, to really kind of not assume that we know everything about the other person. And I think the last like little tip I'll share, and I have this on my Instagram too, because I'm not going to remember all the questions off the top of my head, but having like a relationship check-in be it weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, quarterly, I don't know, whatever works for you. I think that's huge because so many of us, you know, we get into this day-to-day and we don't really like find the container to actually connect and check in with one another. So, you know, this um, framework that I created, right? You know, just like these simple questions, like what do I feel, what do we feel is going well in our relationship? What do we feel could be improved upon? What's your biggest stressor right now? What's your biggest gratitude, right? Like just those jumping off points of like, let's sit there and check in with one another. I think that can be really helpful too. And, you know, I was just working with a client yesterday who said she did those check-in questions and she found out something that was like on her fiance's mind that she had no idea about. And she's like, Nicole, I'm so happy we did it. Like, I feel like I never would have known that if like we didn't sit down and, you know, go through these questions. So I think just finding ways to come back together and not assuming you know everything about the part or your partner is really helpful. I love that check-in. I'm going to do that. Mm. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Wait, (laughs) so like, I just need everyone to go to Nicole's website and like, how can we work with you? Because like, I'm like, I need to work with you. I've come to that conclusion, but like- I'm available. (laughs) How can people work with you, Nicole? (laughs) She's yeah, so we got got a couple different options. Um, you can find me on Instagram for free, obviously, and check out my contact content there at Reno Your Relationships. Uh, my website is renovateyourrelationships.com. So th- what we talked about today is like just so freaking perfect because so I have a membership, the Renovate Your Relationships membership. And in there, I have just different um, lessons. You're going to learn all about attachment theory. There's meditations in there, self-reflection exercises. There's a community space where you can connect with other members. And we also do like a monthly live coaching call. So you can meet with me and we can kind of, you know, work through things in real time. But we add new stuff in there all the time. And for the week of Valentine's Day, so coming up pretty soon, All of our new content is focusing on the relationship with yourself, right? So I tried to throw the people a curveball thinking (laughs) I was going to come out of the gate swinging, you know, Valentine's Day, trying to find you a lover. No, 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 no. We're bringing it back to you. And yeah, I really dive a lot deeper in some of the things that we talked about today. 
And because I know one-to-one services are so expensive, I tried to make the membership as accessible as I possibly could. So it's only $30 a month. You can cancel at any time. Try to make it really easy. So um, that's an option. And uh, I also do take on a limited number of one-to-one coaching clients. So that's an option as well. And you can check out all of that on my website too. Oh my God. Like, guys, you got to go. Sign us up. I know. Like, sign (laughs) us up right now because for different reasons, I think we both need it, Mariah. Yeah, (laughs) I think so too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I need more of Nicole. (laughs) <laughs> oh my God. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. Wait, wait, wait no, I'm going to ask her. I'm okay. going to ask her. Chill. <laughs> we always ask our um, guests this one question that we- Two, love. we added one. We added another one. We added one. an extra one. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so Mariah, do you want to ask a question? Okay, yes. Okay. I'll ask it. Okay. Well, actually I'm going to do three and the third one will be super quick. We need to know your astrology sign. So Ooh. do you know your sun, rising, and moon? I don't think I know all of them, but I know that I'm a Virgo, which is so me. I am so type A, so hard on myself, hard on other people. I also know I'm a manifesting generator, whatever that means. Oh, yes. That's amazing. That explains a lot. I feel like you're the visionary, but you also just get shit done. (laughs) Oh, I'm on top and, of it, people. And having no, no. And ha- Earth signs unite. Like, I, yes. I get everything now. Okay, well, we still need to figure out your, your rising yes. moon. So we'll have to follow up with you and okay. send you some tools. <laughs> um, okay, what would you tell your younger self if you can go and tell little Nicole a piece of advice? Ooh, that it's going to get better. I promise you it's going to get better. It was rough for me growing up. I had a rough go of it. Um, I've shared this in like, yeah, previous emails that have gone out and stuff. But for a long time, I struggled with an eating disorder. And that was just a really brutal time in my life. So to tell your younger self, like, hang in there, kid. I promise you, like, it is going to get better. Like, if I could see myself now, like owning my own business and having my two little poochies that I love, <laughs> Oliver and Gary, and, you know, being married, I would just be like flabbergasted that, mm. you know, I was able to get myself here. Oh, ain't that the truth? We could all, yeah. I love that so much. Uh, last question. If you were a flower, what would you be and why? Ooh. Okay. I'm just going with my first gut instinct here. Yes. We love that. Always the right one. I'm going to say a peony. And there's a couple reasons. (laughs) One, because I'm a humongous Gossip Girl fan and Blair loved her peonies. Okay. So like that always stuck with me. And B, I think a peony has many layers. It's very complex. Mm. And I think, you know, someone who's avoidant, you meet them and you're like, well, you think you got them figured out. You don't right? There's a lot more there. Oh my gosh. And I feel like whenever I buy peonies, they're usually closed. And they open And as you put them in water and kind of let them sit in your house for a while, they just open up so beautifully. I love that, Nicole. Nicole, are we the same person? (laughs) I'm like, I'm just like, what is going on? That is my favorite flower. And for all, like those reasons, like Gossip Girl, the fact that it opens up, I'm just like, what is going on? Is this like, is this a glitch in the matrix? (laughs) It might be. 
<laughs> so you can take that advice that she gave to her younger self because yeah. you will have that. <laughs> I will have it. I, I know that it's out there. And I know that in like one of the, I believe that time isn't linear fully. And like, there's a version of me in another time that has what I want and I feel her and I know that it's there. It, it just, sometimes it's hard, you know, to like- It's hard in the moment, yeah. Yeah, to like trust in that. So thank you for giving me hope, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Nicole. Yes, this was amazing. I'm so stoked for everyone to listen. It's yeah, such an amazing yeah. episode. It comes out in perfect timing for Valentine's Day and we're all focusing on ourselves and loving ourselves. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, you two, for having me. This was such a blast, and I had a wonderful time chatting with you both. Same, same. We look forward to getting more of you. Oh, my God, yes. We, we should have you every year for Valentine's Day. I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, I love it. I'm down. <laughs> I'll come on. Well, thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye.